lots of support. Um, we don't do any judging or giving away trophies or anything, but uh, we get, gave away $2,000 in money in 20 different envelopes, different increments. We draw car numbers. And 19 out of the 20 that won that money donated it all back to Sheltering Tree. So it was a, a really good lesson in giving. And uh, I've hit a lot of you up here in this congregation for donations, and I want to say I appreciate it, and Sheltering Tree Ranch appreciates it. Any other announcements? Let us worship. you know beyond your shadow of a doubt that you are with us and we know that we can feel that we are filled with your spirit but we invite you lord in a very special and very real way to come and be a part of our service you promised us we're two or more gathered in your name there shall ye be also and so we claim and stand upon that promise we ask lord that you would be present you would fill us to overflowing we ask lord more than anything else that we would be given grace and comfort and peace in trying and distressing times. And we ask, Lord, these things in your name and for our sake. And together we say, Amen. Would you join with me in the Apostles' Creed? You'll find it on your screen or in your hymnal in 881. 
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day he arose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen.
Spirit would be at work, opening our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word. May we we be transformed into your likeness. Amen. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Fire goes before the Lord and burns up his adversaries round about. The Lord is lightning illumines the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim God's righteousness, and all the peoples behold God's glory. All worshippers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. All gods bow down before the Lord. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O God. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Light dawns for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to God's holy name. But our ushers come forward at this time. Would you stand, please, for the singing of doxology?
hear the prayers of the people this day.
morning. That's going to sound a little strange to some of you, perhaps. Sometime during the service, or right now if you'd like to, I'd like you to take your cell phone out, and if you know how to do this, to check in. To check in at your First Methodist Church in Henderson, Tennessee. Just as I talk, just take a second to do that. And you may ask, why in the world do I want you to do that? Because I think we need to be a witness. I think that we need to be a witness to the world around us that on Sunday morning, we're at church and we're worshiping God together as the people of God. So if you don't mind, take just a second to do that. Uh, the bulletin insert, there are two. One is a written insert. And again, it was just some words that I shared, some thoughts that I shared on uh, Wednesday night at Bible study. And I hope that you'll read those and throw it in the trash, put it in your refrigerator, mail it to a friend, whatever the case might be. But I want you to remember that last line. In the empty tomb, we see that death does not get the last word. Sometimes we become despondent as Christians. Sometimes we kind of give up. Well, we're never going to this. We're never going to that. We can't this. We can't that. We're not big enough to this. We're not big enough to that. No, we're not big enough. But the truth is we serve a God that's bigger than the universe. We serve a God that can do anything that he so desires to do. So I encourage you to pray. And also I want you to look at the uh, flyer there that has Daryl Mosley's picture on it. Uh, Daryl Mosley, for those of you who don't know, is from the Waverly, Tennessee area. He actually grew up in Waverly, Tennessee. Uh, I invite you to try to make time in your busy schedule. And I know we are all busy, especially in the summer. But on June the 11th at 6.30, I invite you to invite your friends. Uh, you'll find that Daryl Mosley is like sitting in the living room with your best friend. Uh, he is very personable. He is very approachable. He is very filled with the Spirit of God. And he'll share songs and stories about occurrences in his own life, uh, things that have happened to him in his own life and his own career. Uh, I had the privilege of getting to know him a couple of times at a previous appointment where he uh, came and performed. But Daryl is just what you see is what you get. There's no put on. There's no pretense. He is exactly who he says he is and who he appears to be. So if you've been wondering, how in the world can I invite my neighbor to come to church? Well, invite them to come to church to a concert and spend some time in the presence of God together with us. We're reading this morning from Hebrews 12, verses 9 through 15. Hebrews 12, verses 9 through 15. My key verses are verses 14 and 15, but I want to kind of get a launching pad, a running start. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our own good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. And then our key verses, verses 14 and 15. And I'm going to read both, uh, both versions. The one on the screen is, Pursue peace with all people in holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. 
and then in the NIV version, making every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy, for without holiness no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. This is the word of God for the people of God this day. Thanks be to God. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about God questions. Some big questions, some not as big, maybe some not as crucial in your life, maybe some that were crucial in other people's lives. Questions like, where is God in the midst of pain, which directly ties into what happened in Uvalde, Texas. I, I know, I don't know personally what they must be going through, but I can only imagine that thoughts, questions like, where's God? How could God allow this to happen? Where's God in the midst of this pain? Why didn't God do this? Why didn't God do that? And those questions boil up and run through our minds. And we all have situations and circumstances in our life when we, we question God. We ask God why it's happening. We have the kind of questions that sometimes keep us awake at night and cause us to, to worry and to fret. This morning we're going to look at a question that I myself have dealt with, and probably you have as well, many times. What do you do when you have bitterness in your life? Now, in the South, we might not call it bitterness. We might call it something like holding a grudge. Now, some of us hold on to a grudge so tight, you'd have to pry our fingers off one at a time because we hold on to that grudge. We lay awake at night. We wonder, why did that person do that? We plot, we think, we scheme. In my reading for the sermon a couple of weeks ago, as I was preparing for this particular Sunday, I ran across a story I'd never heard before. The Polynesian islands were populated, of course, by uh, native populace, and they were very warlike people. Uh, they seemed to spend lots of time at war and fighting with uh, various groups and tribes and so on and so forth. Well, in my reading, I came across a story concerning them. The Polynesian people, if they were upset with someone, they were fighting with someone over something, when somebody offended them, here's what they would do. They would steal into that person's house or hut, and they would take from that house or hut something that belonged to the person they were upset with. And then you know what they would do? They would go home, they would hang it in their hut so that at night they could concentrate on that possession and scheme about ways that they could get even, that they could get back at. Now, we probably don't go to that extreme, I don't remember breaking into anybody's house that upset me and stealing anything so I could scheme as to how to get even. But in a not so real sense, we do exactly that because we allow that bitterness, that anger, that heartache to fill us. And as it fills us, it changes us. We think about people who've hurt us. We think about people who've mistreated us. We think about people who've said things that upset us, things that have wronged, people that have wronged us. There was a Barna Research Group that did a, re a research poll of about 1,400 people, 1,400 American adults, and they asked them some questions. They asked them some questions like how likely they were to forgive others for hurting them. And they also answered questions about how well they had slept in the last 30 days. How would they rate their health, one being not good at all, 10 being really good. And how satisfied they were with their life, one being not good, 10 being really great. And surprised. Barney Fowle, Gomer Powell, excuse me, would have said, surprise, surprise, surprise. People who said they had not forgiven those who had wronged them had a lower quality of life, 
they slept less, they stayed up at night, and it just goes to show that bitterness can rob you of the grace of God. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Now, everybody gets mad every once in a while. I, I don't know anyone that could honestly say in their entire adult life that they had never been angry. Now, it does tell us to be angry and sin not, but one of the things we have to understand is that when we calm down, usually everything's okay. But people who are bitter don't calm down. People who are bitter never calm down again. Bitter people hold grudges like their life depended on it. And because somebody has slighted them, someone has dissed them, as we used to say, someone has stepped on their toes, somebody has rejected them, somebody has hurt them, and in their mind at least, they have been deprived by someone of something that was precious and valuable to them. I once read about a story about a woman who had a dog, which is not that unusual to have a dog, but this woman loved this little dog. One day, the dog got out as the mailman was coming to the door and did something that was totally uncharacteristic for the little dog. He bit the mailman. Well, the mailman did what the mailman had to do. He called the Humane Society, uh, had the dog catcher come take up the little dog, carried him to the pound, and impounded him for a period of time to make sure he didn't have rabies or any kind of uh, disease like that. But the woman who owned the little dog was beside herself. She, she was incensed. She was so angered that someone would have the audacity to take her puppy and keep him from her for two weeks. She became so angry and wouldn't calm down to the point that she called the mailman and began harassing him. She did this sometimes two and three times a day, every day of the week, 52 weeks a year, or 43 until she passed away, she would try to call that man, that poor mailman, every day, two and three times a day, to harass him and to make him pay for what he had done. And the calls only stopped when she finally died. Now, most of us don't go exactly to that extreme, but lots of bitter people would do stuff like that if the doctor could get away with it. Every time they think of that someone who's hurt them, Boy, their blood boils and they, their teeth get on the edge and they start grinding their teeth and, and their eyes narrow and their eyebrows come down and everything in their body just clenches up because they're so angry and some oh, so upset and they hold on to their wounds and they seem unwilling or unable to forget it. What's a biblical example of this? You'll find it in Genesis, very early on in the history of the human race. You remember Cain and Abel? Well, that's a good example of bitterness and anger and what it causes. You see, Cain, a God, excuse me, accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he rejected Cain's sacrifice. And as far as Cain was concerned, that was not right. Forget about this was God. Cain just didn't buy it. He just didn't think it was right. And so he became so bitter at his brother that you actually could see it in his face. Now, don't believe it? Listen to this. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? Now, we all know people who, when they get angry, you can tell the red just kind of starts creeping up, 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 
and their mouths get smaller and their eyes get smaller and their eyebrows come down and they start clenching their teeth. Kind of describing myself now that I think about it. But when we get angry, that's what happens. We, every bit of us just kind of tenses up and we're so angry and we're so mad and so beside ourselves. And that's what happened with Cain and Abel. Cain was so angry at Abel because he felt like Abel had deprived him of God's blessing. Cain's bitterness defiled him. Now, what does the word defile mean? That's not a word we use. I'm going to defile that piece of paper with my ink pen. We don't use that word. It's kind of a word that's out of fashion, but it's still a good word. What does it mean? In the Hebrew, it means to pollute, to contaminate, to stain. Let me give you an example. Now, I hope none of you have ever do this, but I'm the world's worst at this. I'll buy a loaf of bread at the grocery store because I think, well, I'm going to make some sandwiches for lunch or we're not going to have time to sit down and, and do a big meal, so we'll just fix a sandwich for dinner. Or I'll do this or make a peanut butter and jelly snack or something. But what happens in my life is I take that loaf of bread and I put it on the counter and I forget to tell Janice that I bought any. So she buys some. And so we open her loaf of bread and we, we have our groceries labeled hers and his. No, I'm just kidding. We don't really. But we open up her loaf of bread and I forget that I've got one. And in a week, week and a half, I think, wait a minute. We're not out of bread. I've got a brand new loaf of bread over here. And I open it up and guess what's wrong with it? It's got green mold all over it. And unless I'm really sick and need some penicillin, I really don't want to eat bread with mold on it. And so I look at that loaf of bread and I go, ugh. And I kind of take it, you know, tie it back up and throw it in the trash. And I wasted not only that money, but that bread that, that was available to eat because it's defiled or polluted or contaminated by that mold. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. You see, that bread is kind of like we are. Now, what do I mean? Do we get mold on us? Not literally, but figuratively speaking, we become moldy in the sight of God. God doesn't want us to be contaminated, to be defiled, to be impure. So we have to get rid of our bitterness, wrath, anger, slander, slander, malice. Why? Because if you don't get rid of those things in your life, you grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You'll be contaminated to the point that your soul will be moldy and useless because you won't be able to hear the voice of God. God won't want to touch you any more than you wanted to touch that moldy loaf of bread. Bitterness pollutes our heart and robs us of God's grace. So we're supposed to get rid of bitterness. Jesus, when he taught his followers to pray, said this, and you know the Lord's Prayer. And at the end it says, but if you not, do not forgive others when they sin against you, neither will your Father forgive your sins. Let me read that again. But if you do not forgive others when they sin against you, neither will your Father forgive your sins. Oh, wait a minute. Is that saying if I don't forgive others, God won't forgive me? In a very real sense, it is. That's what Jesus said, and it's pretty scary. In fact, it doesn't seem quite fair for God to do that. I mean, doesn't justice demand that a person pay the penalty? And if I forgive someone who's offended me, am I not saying that what they did was okay? Well, no. That's not what I'm saying at all. Because you see, forgiveness doesn't make the other person right. It makes you free. Listen to that again. 
it doesn't, forgiveness doesn't make the other person right. It makes you free. You see, when we forgive people and we get rid of bitterness, we get rid of that stone that's tied around our leg. Because right now, if we're filled with bitterness and anger and spite and malice, we're trying to run a race with a 100-pound boulder tied to our leg. And you can imagine how well that would work. Not very well at all. So God tells us that we have to get rid of the bitterness, and we have to get rid of the malice. We have to get rid of these things, and that's the only way we can be set free. And he who the Son is set free is free indeed. You see, we're not saying that what they did was okay. We are saying that in the forgiveness that I extend to them, I am make myself able to be freed from that boulder that's tied around my leg. Freeing others frees you. But what does it free me from? Well, it frees me, first of all, from the consequences of my hatred. Bluntly, simply put, the lack of forgiveness can destroy my health. It can destroy my very health. It can cause everything from heartaches to back pain to insomnia and heart problems. We aren't designed to be bitter people. We are designed to be people who are forgiven through the grace of God and in turn forgive those who have sinned against us. Bitterness can also rob us of God's grace. Hebrews 12, 15 again, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. What do you mean I can be robbed of God's grace? Well, that's what God says, and God gives us a parable. If you were in Bible study a couple of weeks ago, it's a parable you're familiar with uh, recently because we've studied it in Bible study. It's a parable of the two servants. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. In other words, uh, we, the king had lots of money loaned out. So the king one day gets up and goes, the queen wants to go on a shopping spree. Or I need to spruce up my chariots. Or I need some new bows and arrows. And i got to get this money coming in so I can pay for these things. And so the king calls his accountants, so to speak, those in charge of his books. He says, bring the books and let's see what everyone owes. So they're tied uh, tallying things up and figuring out what everybody owes. When he began to settle, one was brought in to him who owed 10,000 talents. Now, that would be about $10 million. That's, at my house, that's beginning to be a pretty good sum of money. And so, since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold. Now, in the 16th, 1800s in Europe, you'd be thrown into debtor's prison, which doesn't make any sense to me. Because if you owe someone a debt and you throw them in prison, they're not going to be able to pay their debt. But that was the way things were done. The way things were done in this time, in the Old Testament time, is the king or whoever was owed the debt would just take the man, his wife, all of his children, any grandchildren, great-grandchildren, all of his dogs, cats, ducks, cows, sheep, lambs, any possession, furniture, house, and we just sell it off at auction in order to settle the debt. Well, that first servant, of course, goes, well, please don't do that. And he falls down on his knees, and he's begging the king, and he's imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay the debt. Well, the king knew there was no way he'd ever be able to pay the debt, but he had mercy on the man. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. That's a 100 denarii would be about 10 days' wages. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, just like the first servant, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything that I owe. He refused and had him put into prison 
until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. In other words, the other servants looked at this and said, wait a minute, weren't you just forgiven $10 million? And this guy who owes you 10 days wages, you wanna throw him in jail? And so what did they do? They scurried back to the king quickly and told the king what had happened. And the king said, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, in the parable, Jesus doesn't make light of the pain. He doesn't laugh at the pain. Yes, they both owed money. Yes, they both had not paid the money. The second servant owed 100 denarii. And if you owed me that money, I would give my money back. In our culture, we use debt statements. We say people owe us, or I'm gonna get even. Those are, those are all mathematical debt journal statements to get even with. They owe me, and we use terminology like that. But when we don't forgive others, it's an insult to God the Father. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have hurt God. All have been enemies of God. And the pain and the sorrow that we've caused God is so great that the pain others have inflicted on us pales in comparison. God has forgiven us more than we will ever be able to forgive others. So let's do a little review. There were going to be a quiz at the end of the night or at the end of the day. Let's review. Bitterness and lack of forgiveness pollutes us. It defiles us. It contaminates us. It robs us of health. It robs us of our relationship with God and insults God, and you don't want that. Number three, we want to get rid of bitterness. But how do we do that? When we think about bitterness, how do we get rid of it? Well, first of all, we have to recognize that bitterness does indeed stain us. It's sinful. It stains us, pollutes us, corrupts our soul. It robs you of being having access to God's grace. And why do I say that? Well, other than that's what the scriptures tell me, let me give you a for instance. If I am so angry at someone that that's all I can think of, it consumes me. Day and night, all I think is, boy, I tell you what, if I could get a hold of him, I would, I would hit him so hard that he would end up in yesterday. Or I would do this or I would do that. And that's all, it just consumes you. You can't get over it. Every time you see, hear that person's name, think about that person, the blood just starts boiling, your ears start turning red, and your visage changes, your face is cloudy, your face tightens up, your eyebrows come down, your eyes get smaller. Again, I think I'm kind of describing myself when I get angry. But when that happens, we don't experience the grace of God because that's the last thing on our mind. Asking God for his grace and forgiveness is not even in our wheelhouse. It's not even in our time. We're so angry that all we can think is, I'm going to get even for what he did, she did, they did to me. And so we have to be careful. We have to recognize that bitterness is sinful. It causes us to be shut off, cut off from the grace of God. Bitterness causes us to try to be God. James 4, 11 and 12 says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother, he speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Now listen to this. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawkeeper, one lawgiver, and one judge, he who is able to save and destroy. In other words, when we become bitter, we try to take the place of God. 
We try to tell God what needs to be do. We want to punish others like we were God and their judge and jury. There's only one lawgiver, and that's God, and there's only one judge, and that is God. Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. If somebody needs to be punished, let God do it. He's a much better judge than we are. We need to realize that forgiving someone doesn't mean allowing them to continue to hurt you. Now, hear me clearly. I would never tell you in an abusive situation that you should remain in that situation and continue to be abused. Get out. But then we have to work on forgiveness after you get out of that situation. I read a story about someone who had a family member who there had been abuse involved from a young age, and she could protect herself from being alone with him. It could protect herself from being abused by him because she was an adult now. But the problem was she just couldn't turn it loose. And she needed to get to the point where she could forgive that family member, not for their sake, but for her sake. Well, she went to her pastor, and he told her the story of Corey Ten Boom. Most of you know that name. You may not know all the details. But Corey Ten Boom, during World War II, the Nazis sent thousands of people to concentration camps. Very few of them remained at the end of the war. We're still living. One of these people was named Corey Ten Boom. Her parents were taken, and they died in the camps. And she and her sister were abused and suffered all kinds of indignities and disgrace and humiliation at the hands of their captors. But when the war was over, she was set free physically. But Corey Ten Boom wrote in her journal that she realized she wasn't free emotionally and spiritually. She still had hatred in her heart for those that abused her. Now, let me stop and enter into something really quickly and give you an aside. Am I telling you that what Corey Ten Boom does in forgiving is easy? No. I'm not telling you it's easy at all. But I'm telling you it's necessary for us to be right in our life with God. And so going on, Coy had watched her parents die, gone through indignities and abuse in the, in the camps, and after much tears and prayers, she finally succeeded in forgiving those. She began to talk and speak at churches all across Europe, trying to help others right after, in the aftermath of World War II, to forgive those who had abused them. Over and over again, she would forgive one person after another, literally, Nazi soldiers coming up to her and asking her for forgiveness after church services, and she would give them forgiveness and tell them that she forgave them. But there was one individual who, if my memory recalls correctly, was a camp guard. He was a sergeant uh, and a camp guard, and he was supposed to be a sadistic human being. And she could not forgive him no matter what she did. In fact, she said, I spent night after night after night struggling with my memories of this man. So she went to pre again to speak to her preacher. The preacher carried her out into the vestibule and said, in the vestibule, we have a rope. And the rope is tied to a bell, just like we have here. And he said, when someone sees that it is time for worship to start, they will take and pull on the rope the bell will go ding dong, ding dong. And he said, after a few times, he eventually lets go of the rope, and the bell still swings going ding dong, ding, and it slows down till finally it stops ringing completely. And here's what the preacher said to her. That is like forgiveness. When we forgive, we take our hands off of the rope. When we forgive, 
we stop pulling on the rope. But if we keep tugging at our grievances for a long time, then the bell will still continue to ring. In other words, as long as our hands are pulling on that rope, it's going to continue to ring. But when you finally give forgiveness, take your hands off of the rope, the bell will slow down and gradually come to a stop. So here's my question. Have you let go of the bell rope? Are you still hanging onto the rope, pulling with all your might? Still wanting that bell to ring out loud and clear to let the world know how angry you are at someone or something or something that happened? Have you turned the rope loose, given forgiveness, and all we're hearing is a distant echo as the bell slowly comes to a dead stop? Is there someone in your life that if you met them at the grocery store, you turn and walk away instead of having to speak to them? Is there someone in your life that if you ran into them in church, you wouldn't speak to them? You'd get upset if you saw them in church because you would think they don't deserve to be helped. Is there someone in your life who hearing their name just makes your teeth clench together? Then you need to turn loose of the bell rope. You're still pulling on the rope. You need to turn loose and let it go. You need to forgive so that Satan doesn't get a foothold in your life so that God can forgive you, so that God can bless you and reward you for your faithfulness and obedience. Let me close with the story. There were two shopkeepers. They had grown up together. They had always been competitive in sports, on the playground, academically, and they built a store, one on one side of the street, one on the other side of the street. It was a bustling little town. It was big enough to support two stores, but there was such jealousy and anger and yes, almost hatred and lack of forgiveness were perceived slights that had happened 30 years ago. That if one of them got a new customer, he would walk out of his doorway, look at the other shopkeeper and grin real big and puff himself up to let him know that he'd just gotten a new customer. If this shopkeeper got a new account, he would walk out into the street holding up the new account that he had signed up. And this went on and on and on for years and years. And they played one-upmanship. If one built on an addition, the other was built on addition twice as big. If one started carrying this product, the other would start carrying twice as much of that product. And he just went back and forth and back and forth. And both of them were so filled with bitterness and anger and despair and hatred. Till one night, an angel appeared to one of the shopkeepers. And the angel appeared in the middle of the night and looked at the shopkeeper and said, I'm going to give you whatever you desire. But whatever you receive, your enemy, as you think of him, will receive twice as much. So in other words, if you sign up a new account worth $10,000, your competitor is going to sign up a new account worth $20,000. So whatever you get, double is what he gets. If you ask for a long and healthy life, he'll be given a longer and even more healthy life. If you ask for great amounts of children and grandchildren, he'll have twice as many. And the angel said, think carefully before you choose what you want, because you only have one opportunity. Well, the shopkeeper thought, thought about the anger that he felt for this other man, looked at the angel, looked at the ceiling, looked at the wall and goes, I ask that you blind me in one eye. Think about it. 
knowing that what would happen to his competitor is he would get twice as much and be blind in both eyes. Sometimes we are willing to hurt ourselves just to get even, just to gain the upper hand. Let me close with this one sentence. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Wow. You think God really meant that or did he just need some filler material for the scriptures? Of course we know better than that. God is the odds and the finisher of our faith. His word is true. And we stand upon that word. So what I think God is saying to us is if we do not forgive the world around us, we will never have the peace that we seek. We will never have the ability to love that we seek. We will never be able to be free as we want so desperately to be. And remember, he who the Son has set free is free indeed. But we cannot accept that, experience that freedom, unless we forgive others around us. Lord, the people in Uvalde, Texas are hurting. How many nights have the parents gone into what is now an empty bedroom? How many times have they picked up, the mother picked up a shirt that belonged to her daughter or her son, and holding it close to her face, she breathed in that faint smell of her child that is now lost to her in this world forever. And we don't understand. And we become bitter. And we become angry. And it is out of that bitterness and anger that things like this occur. Help us to realize that bitterness has no place in the life of a Christian. Help us to get rid of that bitterness by giving it over to God and asking him to forgive us and to set us free. And we ask it, Lord, in your name and for our sake, and together we say, amen. Would you stand?
just comes into our heart and overflows our hearts, pushing out the bitterness, pushing out the wrath, pushing out the anger, pushing out the distress and despair and depression, pushing out all of those things which are not in keeping with your will, O Lord. Help us as we leave this place, as we celebrate this Memorial Day weekend, help us to realize that it not only is about those men and women who gave their all, but once again, it's about that one who gave everything that he had on the cross at Calvary that we might be forgiven. Watch over us and keep us, hold us, carry us, help us to be emissaries and stewards, help us to be ambassadors of the world. And we ask it in your name, and together we say, Amen. 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 Would you go in peace?